Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. The series, Jesus at the Center of the Church, will be continued with a message titled, Indulgent. In this context, Jesus puts forth a challenge to the Church of Thyatira, as well as to our own, to strive for sanctity and uphold purity. This is achieved through confronting and addressing the existence of sin within the church. After today's episode, we'll share with you a daily devotion to follow for this week. Right now, here's founding pastor, Perry Duggar. Have you moved from death to life? Do you remember the day? And do you know that experience? So we do continue this series, Jesus at the Center of the Church. Today, we focus on the church at Thyatira. And remember, John received these letters essentially dictated to him from Jesus in a vision. And then he sent them to these individual churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. And they're found in Revelation chapters two and three. And in the letters, which all take somewhat the same form, Jesus examined each church. He pointed out and encouraged their strengths. But he also clearly stated what needed improvement to prepare them for the ministries to which he had planned their future. Often those ministries would include persecution and they needed to be strengthened to be able to withstand the persecution that was coming for each of them. Today we focus on this letter to Thyatira and it's called the Indulgent Church. That's the title that we've given this church. What does this word indulgent mean? I've got a, de- a definition for you. Indulgent is allowing someone to have or do what they want, especially when it's not good for them. Also is to be benignly lenient or permissive. Well, how does this apply to us today? Well, the theme I've chosen is Galatians 6, 1. It's also the memory verse. And it says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So whose responsibility is it? Whose? Ours. But first, We need to be sure we've cleaned up our own issues so that we are not that person with the the two by four sticking out of our our eye to pull the speck out of someone else's. So we can't be hypocritical, but we're all called to confront sin first in our own lives, then in other people's lives, but to do it motivated by love so that our manner will be gentle. It'll be patient. It will be humble. So we begin today at Revelation chapter 2 at verse 18. Write this letter to the angel. And as Brian and JC have told you, angel literally is translated messenger. But here it refers to the pastor of each church or the leader. So write this to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Thyatira is now a Turkish city of Akisar. It's interesting in that all seven of these churches are now found in Muslim-dominated areas. Here's the ruins of that once 
great city, Thyatira. The church is located about 20 miles southeast from Pergamum, which is another one of the seven churches of, of Asia Minor. And it's about 50 miles inland from the Aegean Sea, across from Athens, Greece. It was likely established by Paul and Silas during Paul's second missionary journey, probably about 50 AD. And he was aided, perhaps he was directed and led to found that church by a woman whose name was what? Say it louder. I can't hear you. Not Jezebel. She's not found in churches. <laughs> Who? Who lived in Thyatira? Mary. <laughs> Brian, what have you done with these people? No, Lydia. And Lydia, remember, was a seller of Avon. Maybe Amway. A seller of purple. Lydia was a worshiper of God. And she was a seller of purple cloth, perhaps even purple dye. And she was saved by God in the city of Philippi. So she was across the Aegean Sea, which said she may have been some kind of an agent for her, her guild representing her profession there. But anyway, she was born again through Paul's teaching and she was baptized along with her whole household. So all of Lydia's household was born again in Philippi. Paul and Silas were then invited by Lydia to come home with her, stay at her house. It's interesting, she said, if you believe that I'm a believer, a true believer, come and stay at my house. And they accepted, and that's likely when they established the church there in Thyatira. Thyatira was not an important center of idolatry. Pergamum was, Smyrna was, but they did worship other gods, primarily the sun god Apollo. You see his statue there. It was a military and a commercial center, and it had many different trade guilds. Guilds can be compared to unions today. A lot of differences, but some similarities because they managed areas of business or production. And in that city, these trade guilds produced many different products, primarily wool and purple dyed goods because it came from the, the matter root was where they got this purple dye. But there were also people that were linen workers and leather workers. There were tanners of the leather. There were potters and bakers. There were slave dealers, unfortunately, but there were also bronze smiths. Now, each of these guilds had one or more patron gods that they worshiped. And they would throw feasts and they would offer sacrifices. Then they ate the meat from the animal sacrifices and they engaged in sexual immorality as part of their worship. Sort of the way they worship wealth today, isn't it, in some of these situations. Christians weren't opposed by Jews in Thyatira because there weren't that many Jews. But the believers there 
were pressured by these guilds to comply with their pagan practices because it was as though the guilds controlled that particular area of business or production. You know, I don't know that they issued licenses formally, but they controlled who could hold a job or who could work in that area of production. So these Christians had a dilemma. Would they participate in these feasts thereby violating their convictions or would they lose their livelihoods? I wonder how many of you have had pressure like that in this year. Well, not to worship a a God or an idol. Well, different kinds of idols. Maybe you've been pressured to compromise your convictions in other ways. Maybe you're a salesperson and one of the strategies you use is taking clients to strip clubs and loading them up on alcohol. Maybe you are pressed to falsely report sales or finances in your business. Or maybe as has become current today, depending on who you work for, you're required to embrace transsexualism or homosexual practice or or something, or else you lose your job. This is unique in our history, but it's real today. So what will you do? Will you compromise your faith? Will you sacrifice your job? That's exactly where they were. Revelation 2, 18 continues. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Now the title Son of God, this is the only time that that title appears in Revelation. And it emphasizes Christ's deity. Remember, he was put to death for referring to himself as the Son of God. And it stresses the truth that Jesus is of one essence and equal with the Father. Well, aren't we referred to as sons and daughters of God? So are we saying that we're one essence with God? Are we? Y'all are scared to death to answer. I haven't been gone that long. Yes, you are one essence with God. You're not God, but the Spirit of God, who is fully God, has been placed inside you permanently. That's the way you communicate with God, because you've been connected to Him. You know, it sort of takes away our excuses for sin, doesn't it? That the essence of God fills our lives. Jesus' eyes are referred to as flames of fire. And what that means is that, is that he could view the church, he would view the church as the divine judge. And by looking, he would see that everything was exposed to him, all the pretense, all the deceit, 
all the misdirection was gone whenever he looked at the church, which means whenever he looked at the people. You know anybody like that? They just look at you and you know they can see right through you. You know anybody like that? Some of you have a spouse like that. You start confessing the minute he or she looks at you. That's a gift, by the way. That's a gift. But Jesus is, you'll never throw him off the trail. He sees all the way to your soul the minute he looks. But many people have that kind of gift of discernment as well. And you know you're not fooling them when you're trying to give misdirection. Feet like polished bronze. That depicts his holiness and he, as he trampled out impurity in the churches. Now, imagine you're in this church at Thyatira. The letter comes in and they read this description of Jesus. How does that make you feel? I think it probably created what? Created some fear. Yes. Because when this letter was read to the congregation, they realized that Jesus is examining them closely and seeing them completely. Well, isn't he? I think it would probably do all of us some good to be aware of his vision on us. He does see us. And the spirit within us knows everything. So how does Jesus view our church? And how does he see each of us who make up this church individually? So we want to look at Jesus' guidance to the church in Thyatira. And he begins his communication with commendation. Verse 19. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. See, Jesus affirmed the church's righteousness. And that included demonstrating love for God and love for each other, as well as practicing faithful trust in him. Love always results in service. Because love's an action primarily. We think of it as an emotion. And unfortunately, you know, it's in media, it's thrown around, it's so cheap and shallow. But love is, is a strong action that has an emotion that follows it. But love always results in service because if you love someone, you, you will see them and you will recognize what's needed. And you, you'll seek to meet that need. Is it, is it encouragement? They're discouraged, you'll give it. Is it confrontation? They need correction, you'll give it. Because love means you want what is best for that person. 
and you will do your part in helping them attain it. Practicing faith or faithfulness, there's a Greek word. Who knows the Greek word? Pistis. And it's translated faith, but it's also translated belief, trust, reliance, and even persuasion. And practicing faith, which we practice faith in what we've been promised. We practice faith in Jesus who promised as we sang that he died for our sins and was raised for our forgiveness. So we demonstrate faith which gives us patient endurance. We can persevere through difficulty, through suffering. You know, I can commend this church. I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm 64 years old. Roland's a lot older. So he may have seen more, but I've seen and I know a few churches that demonstrate loving God and loving people like this one. Do you agree with that? And the willingness to sacrifice yourself to fill a need that you see in someone you love. And the definition of who you love is broad, is broad, including all those needful kids in India, but many here even in our midst. You, you are a caring people. You know, my family has, we've known this, but we have learned this after the birth of Graham and his needs of either healing or a transplant. And, and you folks have prayed for him. You prayed for my daughter and son-in-law. You prayed for Leanne and me and our family for just perseverance, for help. And you have really cared, and many of you tell me wherever I bump into that you pray daily, and we've been sustained by your patient endurance because you've understood where we've found ourselves. And, and I call on you again to pray because we are soon going to a hospital facility that will assess Graham for a kidney transplant. So we, we pray for the assessment, then we pray for a donor, and we pray for a, a hospital system that will talk to us and are reasonable with us. We, we've been advised by numerous professionals not to keep giving him vaccines because of the, the um, inflammation and the toxicity, but we've already encountered some hospital systems that say, no, you must have every CDC vaccine for a two-year-old, which is 36 if you don't know. And y'all just don't know that. And it's 50 for a six-year-old. And it's either 70 or 80 for a senior in high school. You need to look into these things. You need to ask questions. But thank you. Give us for praying for our discernment, for carrying us through this. And boy, we have, we have learned, you know, I, I, I've learned that life feels different 
when there is a, a chronic serious illness in the family. And so forgive me if I have been insensitive to you and didn't weigh the weight on your life. And I don't claim to equal what all of you are suffering, but we, we've, we've gotten a little taste, a, a, a bit of a measure. And so I thank you for your prayers that have sustained us and I believe will continue to direct and sustain us going forward. So thank you. Verse 19b. And I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. You know, when the Spirit is placed in us, unless we quench the Spirit by denying the Spirit, by intentionally sinning, that Spirit changes us. So if someone wants to know, well, how do I know if I'm saved? I usually say, well, compare yourself now and compare yourself five years ago. Because if the Spirit is in you and you're walking in the Spirit, you will have more of the Spirit's fruit. As long as your soul is good and you're receptive. Now, I'll admit, sometimes the soul is not good. Don't tell my wife this. She's in here somewhere, though. Leanne planted a garden. And our neighborhood, we have really small yards. And Leanne works hard. I mean, that girl's fast. She's smart. She, but that garden, it's, I mean, you know, anybody can grow a tomato. We can't grow tomatoes. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with the soil. Something's wrong with something. I don't know. I mean, it could be our neighbors are poisoning it because they know we act like the Hooterville crowd, you know, and we live in this neighborhood and here's our, here's our garden in the backyard and we've got fences and all because we've got bunnies and we've got deer and, you know, chipmunks and they eat everything. So, but anyway, our, our garden hasn't gone wherever she is. Isn't that right? So it... But if your soul is right spiritually and the seed is planted and it's watered by the Spirit, the fruit grows and it will grow ever greater in your life. So are Christ-like characteristics evident in your life? Which means are they evident in this church my observation is yes, but we're only starting. We're only starting. Jesus' message then moved to confrontation. Verse 20. I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, not likely her name, just a symbolic name given to her, who calls herself a prophet. Notice she identified herself. God didn't identify her as a prophet. To lead my servants astray. See, the church was tolerating the false teaching of a woman who was leading believers into sin. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was married to whom? 
Yeah, Ahab. And Ahab was a wicked king, but when he married her, she became, he became more wicked. And he started worshiping Baal because see, she was already related to the worship of Baal. That's why her name is Jezebel. And so he started worshiping and leading all of Israel into the worship of this Canaanite god Baal. And children even were sacrificed to Baal. Evil, evil, wicked worship. And she murdered God's prophets. She murdered hundreds of them. And she scared one prophet into hiding. Who was that? Elijah. Elijah was scared. She, she, after Elijah won this great victory on the mountain. He defeated all these prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Then Jezebel said, he killed my prophets? I'm going to kill him. He ran and hid. Hid in a cave. He was scared to death of her. She practiced idolatry. She engaged in witchcraft. She was an evil, evil woman. Verse 20 continues. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Now, this is what I think she was doing. You can have your own opinions. I think she was encouraging them to cooperate with the evil expectations of the guilds. Do you think the people would have liked hearing that? What do you think? Yeah, they would. Because what she's, here's what she's teaching them. Not all of them, of course, but there was that group, see. And Jezebel was teaching a twisted view of God's grace. She was arguing it didn't matter if Christians sin because God will forgive them. Is that true? Is it? Well, yeah, but be careful. Be careful. Yes, God forgives all sin. But someone with this attitude of I'll sin freely and because God must forgive is showing no lack of love for God and maybe demonstrating lack of faith. So see, you have to be, you have to understand theologically and practically how this works. You see, yes, God forgives our sin, but here's God's attitude toward immorality, toward sexual immorality. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. See, when we engage in this, in, in, in fornication and premarital sex and all this, it alters us. It makes bonding in marriage more difficult. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Sexual immorality is not indulged by God. And yet we, we have become so concerned that someone might turn their back on us that we won't say a word. 
But that's not loving if we're not speaking God's truth to people. Yes, remember, humbly. Yes, graciously. Yes, motivated by love. But yes, you tell the truth. These people in Thyatira, I believe, were willing to accept this false teaching. Because think about it. It allowed them to engage in this sin, demonstrate loyalty to the guilds, and keep their jobs. So win-win. But you see what's missing is they didn't have enough inner conviction for the wrongness of it to be the overriding truth in their life and the controller of their behavior. They let other people, her notably, tell them it was okay. We have people in our culture, don't we? If you don't tell your family members this isn't the right practice, they think, oh, it's the right practice. I'll, I'll do what I want. And that was Jesus' complaint, was that true Christians in the church allowed this teaching to occur. Have we accepted sexual immorality in our culture, in our churches? You see it in whole denominations. God hasn't changed his opinion on these things. Have we accepted idolatry? It may not be, you know, bowing down to an idol, a metal idol, but worshiping celebrity or success or wealth or possessions or, you know, kind of the worship of self. You know, I've never taken a selfie. I know. You might say, well, why would you? <laughs> but there's, I mean, let's think about it now. Here's how some, far some of you have gone. Now, okay, you're just walking down the street. You see a tree. <laughs> and you got to hike that leg up too. You got to show a little hip. What, is, what in the world is that? But that's, that kind of stuff has become normal. But let me tell you this. Our culture no longer will guide our children morally. And if we are silent, they will hear nothing. Because what's on television won't. These podcasts, some of these podcasts are, are surprisingly just evil. And even the idea of self-respect, I mean, and the songs are, are just, as my mother would have said, just nasty. And that's becoming acceptable. And some of you may not like me saying this, but who's going to say it to you if I don't? We... We have to stand firm, but that doesn't mean stand mean. But where are people going to find truth? Jesus continued in verse 21. I gave her time to repent, treated her as a Christian, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. See, Christ treated her kindly as a Christian. He confronted this false teaching 
which was seducing people into sin, which is, you know, that's a dangerous thing if you're tripping other people up, particularly immature Christians. But she was given an opportunity to turn, to repent, and she refused. So Jesus then spoke of consequences. Verse 22. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering. Now, the words of suffering aren't in the Greek. It only says, I will throw her on a bed or a couch. I, I really, it's the, it's the interpreter who is trying to give greater meaning, but I, I think adding words probably is not the best way to go. Um, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. See, the image that I think is being used here is that there, there would be a, a couch, unfortunately, of pleasure, you know, of immorality in these temples. So Jezebel and these others would lie around. And it looks to me like Christ is saying, I'll throw you on a bed, but it isn't a bed you want to be thrown on. I do think it implies a bed of suffering, a bed of illness. You will be, you will regret that lying on the bed unless you repent. But even still, here's where the grace of God is. Unless you repent. But what we see here, and you, and you may read this and you say, well, goodness, this seems so harsh. God is harsh about sin. Look at the death of his son. But that doesn't give us license to be cruel to people because we are kind to people because of the sternness of God, we can offer mercy. But we offer truth. Jezebel's heart was hardened in unrepentant sin. The indication is that she wasn't a believer, but perhaps she was. And here's the danger. Here's the risk. You can be a believer and your conscience can be seared, is what 1 Timothy 4 says. And if you, your conscience ever gets seared from you practicing sin, you no longer feel any guilt. And you're in a dangerous place because you don't know where you stand and you can't even discern it anymore. I mean, I think our culture is there. Look at this media stuff is, just gets just degrading worse and worse and worse, and now it's more and more public. It's a seared conscience. People feel no shame for anything. That's a seared conscience. It's a, it's a, it's a dangerous place our culture is in. And these individual people, many of whom say the most vile things imaginable and then say something about Jesus or God. That's a bad, risky place to be. And Jesus is mercifully warning follow these followers to repent while there's time. Because he says in the warning, in verse 23, I will strike her children dead. And you think, gosh, this, this is awful harsh. 
Here's what it, here's what it means. Is this taking away salvation? Is that possible? Is taking salvation possible? No. But if your conscience is seared, then you can't tell whether you're saved or lost because you have no conviction anymore. You don't feel it anymore. But if someone is a child of God, then they can't lose their salvation. But you know what? They can lose their life. I know why Brian and JC wanted me to preach this message, see, because they didn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. But <laughs> JC even said he would kiss me for preaching this message, which I like the affection, but, but this is called the sin unto death. 1 John 5, 16, and what it means is if one of us, even as Christians, is living in disobedience to the point that we are misleading others, God will snatch us out. Not to take away our salvation, to end our life and our influence because of the damage we're doing. 1 John 5, 16, read it. Look, you know, again, you don't ever take things from me. You look it up yourself. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you what you deserve. See, God is a judge. We, we don't want soft judges. We want fair judges. Justice means that, that what is due is delivered. Isn't that the judge you want? I mean, I didn't practice law long, but just in the time I was practicing, I didn't want a judge that was for the defense or for the plaintiffs or for the prosecutor or for, or for the certain race or certain political party. I wanted a judge that had no loyalties but to truth. No loyalties but to what's right. Well, that's the God we have. His loyalty is to the right that he has already declared. And so he will give what we deserve. You say, but are you saying he's going to punish me? What I'm saying is if by faith you have trusted that Jesus died for what you deserve, then you can escape. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. After Jesus judged this church, other people in other churches would be warned against tolerating sin in their midst. And they would know that nothing was hidden from his view. You see, we, we might fool each other. We may even fool ourselves about our true spiritual state, whether we're living by conviction or we're living by compromise. But we'll never fool Jesus. He sees clearly. And finally, Jesus issued a challenge Verse 24, but I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. See, 
they engaged in this immorality, but they, they called it a deeper understanding of grace. And Jesus calls it the depths of Satan. They said, oh, God doesn't mind this. God's above this. The spirit can't be affected by sin. The body is sinful and it's gonna be cast away, but the spirit cannot be affected by sin. But that's all a lie. God cares about the whole life. And what they declared was enlightened spiritual truth was actually being deceived, being seduced, being manipulated by this teaching that actually separated them from God. But there were some true believers in this church that rejected this. And you can see, and we continue in verse 24. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Refuse indulging, resist compromising. Do you now, do you hold tightly to biblical teaching? All right, here it comes. Even when your convictions cost you. They might cost you friendships. They might cost you employment. They may cost you lots of things that you value and desire. But which one are you going to do? Are you going to hold your convictions? Or are you going to cling to our culture? Because you're scared to death to lose out on something or someone. Verse 26. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. You see, if we remain faithful to Jesus, particularly in a culture that's turning away, if we remain faithful, then this says and I don't know how all this works out, but it says we will rule with Christ in return. And that we will be those that destroy the rebellious nations that persecute Jesus and his followers. They will have the same authority I received from my father and I will also give them the morning star. This is a reward from God, and the Scripture's full of times that God does reward us. I don't, this is after the return of Christ, but apparently we will occupy roles of authority that we've been given from God. And when it says receive the morning star, this reference to morning star is a reference to Jesus, and we will receive Jesus. And so following the morning star means receiving Jesus himself as reward. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. That's talking to all of us. And understand what he is saying to each of us 
in the churches. Pay attention to this message. I added that each of us, obviously. The church at Thyatira didn't learn its lesson. The church did not repent. They may have stepped away from this Jezebel, but they later embraced other false teaching, and they went out of existence by the end of the second century. Completely disappeared. We are needed in this day and in this culture. We must hold to what we've learned. And if you don't know yet, you need to study. Get in a group, follow some classes, get a mentor. We must know God's truth in this day. God will protect his people regardless of how this culture erodes away. But we must stand, confront, but humbly, gently, and with love. Anger is not given to us by God to express to others. I'm proud of you as a church. I believe we have a role in this community. You are people of conviction. You can be people of conviction. Thank you for your faithfulness to Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness to our family. Thank you for your faithfulness to serve each other in times of trouble. If you want someone to pray for you, our care counselors will be here at the front. They'll anoint you with oil. They'll talk to you about faith. They won't force you to make a decision. They'll just open a dialogue with you. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to be a people who desire to please you with our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's this week's memory verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. In the series, Jesus at the Center of the Church, a daily devotional is provided for you. This helps you dedicate time each day during the week to connect with God through reading, meditation, and prayer based on the daily devotional content. If you don't already possess the daily devotional book, you can get them in the concourse area during the church services, the reception desk throughout the week, or digitally via the new Brookwood Church app. Speaking of the Brookwood Church app, it's new and just got better. You're encouraged to download the upgraded app before Sunday so that you'll have up-to-date resources for services. On Sunday, September 10th, we'll continue our series, Jesus at the Center of the Church. Prepare by reading Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We are grateful you joined us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.